The next Bible reading comes from Genesis chapter 5. If you want to follow in your Bibles, it's on page number 5. This is the written account of Adam's line. (coughs) Sorry. This is the written account of Adam's line. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them. And when they were created, he called them man. When Adam had lived 130 years, he had a son in his own likeness, in his own image, and he named him Seth. After Seth was born, Adam lived 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Adam lived 930 years and then he died. When Seth had lived 105 years, he became the father of Enosh. And after he became the father of Enosh, Seth lived 807 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Seth lived 912 years and then he died. When Enosh had lived 90 years, he became the father of Kenan. And after he became the father of Kenan, Enosh lived 815 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enosh lived 905 years and then he died. When Kenan had lived 70 years, he became the father of Mahalalel. And after he became the father of Mahalalel, Kenan lived 840 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Kenan lived 910 years and then he died. When Mahalalel had lived 65 years, he became the father of Jared. And after he became the father of Jared, Mahalalel lived 830 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Mahalalel lived 895 years and then he died. When Jared had lived 162 years, he became the father of Enoch. And after he became the father of Enoch, Jared lived 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Jared lived 962 years and then he died. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. And after he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lived 365 years. Enoch walked with God, then he was no more because God took him away. When Methuselah had lived 187 years, he became the father of Lamech. And after he became the father of Lamech, Methuselah lived 782 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Methuselah lived 969 years and then he died. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he had a son. He named him Noah and said, He will comfort us in the labor and painful toil of our hands, caused by the ground the Lord has cursed. After Noah was born, Lamech lived 595 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Lamech lived 777 years and then he died. After Noah was 500 years old, he became the father of Shem, Ham and Japheth. Good Bible reading, huh? And a cute Bible reader. Uh, if you haven't met, my name's Pete. Uh, that was my wife reading. So that makes that appropriate. But only just. A couple of nominations there for our next memory verse as well. As my darling wife escorts darling children from the room. But nobody's noticing, especially now I've mentioned it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thanks so very, very much for not leaving us in the dark to fumble around and wonder who we are and who you are and try to work out life on our own. Father, thank you for speaking into the world. 
Thank you especially for speaking to the world through your son and then giving us the Bible about your son. We pray that what we learn tonight would make us love him even more and want to live for him even more. We pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Uh, Well, sometimes uh, there's just no substitute for an honest diagnosis. Uh, Sometimes, no matter how hard it is to hear, there is simply no substitute for being told the truth. Uh, One man who knows that well is Patrick Lawler. Let me introduce you to him. Patrick, here he comes, is a construction worker in the good old US of A. He operates nail gun, or at least he used to, on the site he was working. Anyway, one day, as he goes about his work, uh, Patrick's nail gun backfired, shot a nail into the wall beside him. He thought nothing of it, and he worked on. Anyway, a a short uh, time later, uh, Patrick felt something of a toothache Painkillers didn't help, the ice didn't help him. He took himself down to the dentist. He got himself an x-ray and he found this. Mm, you can groan, it's okay. Patrick had shot himself through the roof of his mouth with a six-inch nail and went days without even knowing it. And I want to say to you, there is a man who knows that sometimes there's just no substitute for an honest diagnosis. After all, without a diagnosis, your problem stays hidden. Without a diagnosis, the danger is concealed. You'll never look for a solution, you'll never look for a cure, and and what's more, you'll never really appreciate the solution. You'll never really appreciate the cure when it comes without an honest diagnosis of your problem. Well, as we come to Genesis 4 today and Genesis 5, it seems to me what we have is an honest diagnosis from God. A diagnosis of our human condition. As you turn to Genesis 4 in your Bibles, and if you haven't yet, it'd be great to open up your Bibles, Genesis chapter 4. There are three, three things I want us to learn, and all three of these are written on the outlines, so if you've got one of those, hopefully that will be handy as well. Three things I think Genesis 4 wants to teach us in particular and Genesis 5 as well. The first is that humanity has gone from bad to worse. Second is that humanity has gone from worse to worser still. And third, that our great God refuses to give up on us. Now chapter 4 opens, you will have noticed, with a series of firsts. Did you see them? The first birth and the first brother, the first death and the first murder. Chapter 4 opens, we discover quickly that humanity has not learnt from the mistakes of their parents. Instead, what happens? Well, it's pretty simple to say. Baby one kills baby two. The first child kills his brother. Now, I wonder wonder if you haven't heard our reading this evening. You've never heard the the story of Cain and Abel. And you've only been told that there was a day when evil entered the world. How would you imagine that to happen? How would you imagine the story to unfold? The first generation, perhaps learn how to lie. Second generation, move on to stealing. Perhaps in a hundred years, we'd work our way up to envy. Another hundred years, we'd have the first fist fight. 
Now, in the history of humanity, our humanity, this is how it happened. Verse 1. Adam lay with his wife Eve. She became pregnant, gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I've brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now, Abel kept flocks. Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the first fruits, sorry, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favour on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favour. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. I can remember when uh, two of my favourite little girls, uh, just to hide their identities, let's just call them Amelie and Elka, uh, were starting to learn uh, the piano, what Erica, uh, their mother, my wife and I, would do, uh, it, we, we try to keep the praise coming. You know, pretending you can never hear too much of it's a small, it's a small world. That's how it would go. Uh, but of course, as soon as I praised one, what do you think the other wanted? As soon as I favoured one, what do you think the other said? What about me? It isn't fair. And that's what Cain sings too, doesn't he? See verse 5. I brought an offering too. Where's my favour? Now we actually get a hint of the answer in the verses, don't we? Did you see? Did you, did you hear the way the offerings were described? Verse 4. Abel brought the, the fat portions of his firstborn. That is the best parts of his best Produce, whereas Cain, well, verse 3, he just brought some of the fruits of the soil. Hebrews 11 looks back on this and says, By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. Why? Well, I take it it's because Abel offered with better intentions than Cain did. See, this year in the end, it wasn't so much the offering, but the offerer who made it. What the offering did was reveal the offerer. It revealed the reason they had come, the heart they had for God. It, it told who had come to truly give and who had come to merely, I think, get. But of course, God's no fool. He knows our heart when we come to worship him He sees through each offering and he favours Abel's and he doesn't Cain's. And and you see in the verses there, Cain is furious. Literally, literally he burns with anger, not even able to look at his brother, his face downcast. It's, It's not right, he thinks. It's not fair, he thinks. This shouldn't happen, he thinks. In fact, this must never be allowed to happen again. This must never, ever be allowed to happen again. Verse 6. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. 
Now, it's important to see here before we go on in the story, it's not as though Cain was rejected absolutely. It wasn't that he could never again please God. God tells him that he can. God gives him hope. And God gives him a warning too. Did you see it? Verse 7. Do not underestimate your sin, Cain. You know, there in verse 7, it's the first time the sin word is ever mentioned in the Bible. And what's the first thing God says about it? Do not underestimate its power. Like a hungry beast waiting at your door. Sin wants to have you. Sin wants you to rule over you. My children used to sing a classic kid's song, Sin is like a great big crocodile. Sin is a dangerous trap. Sin can sneak up like a crocodile and all of a sudden... Snap, says Hayden. And so God warns Cain... Do not underestimate your sin. Be prepared to resist. Master your sin before your sin masters you. I've been reading this great book uh, on campus with one of the uni guys. Uh, I'd highly recommend it, I think, to pretty much everyone in the room, maybe 16, 18 or over, but pretty much everyone in the room. Uh, It's called uh, Captured by a Better Vision, Uh, Living a Porn-Free Life. Uh, it's a great book for lots of reasons. One of the great things about it is it doesn't kind of condemn you from on high, but it, it gives you testimonies of the many, many people, Christian people, who struggled uh, with this issue. Anyway, one of the fascinating things I've noticed in reading the testimonies is, is the way again and again in the testimony, sin creeps in and sin sneaks up. Again and again, the problem, the guys, the ones they face and the ones they tell, it doesn't begin with this kind of deliberate and firm decision to go embrace porn, but, well, just a little dabble here, a little look there, maybe a little lingering over the junk mail lingerie catalogue when it comes yet again. And yet in the testimonies they tell, before long it snowballs and it spirals and it has them crouching at the door. It devours them, enslaves them. It's not just that way with pornographic sin, of course, but with all sin. With all the sin we underestimate, including the jealousy and the bitterness and the resentment of Cain. As James will say later, James chapter 1, verse 13. James chapter 1, verse 13. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. And then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, gives birth to, to death. And so we read verse 8, Genesis 4. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. And I can't help but wonder, how did he do it? Did he invent the first weapon 
Or did he use his bare hands? How much stronger was Cain than Abel? How much older was Cain than Abel? Was there a struggle? Did did Abel even see him coming? Did he plead for his life? Or was there no time for pleading? And did Cain think he would really just get away with it and that nobody would question him? Verse 9. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? I mean, how unreasonable, God. Am I the shepherd of the shepherd? Am I responsible for him? I mean, do you really expect me to love the Lord my God with my heart, soul and strength and to, well, to love my neighbour, my brother, my sister as myself? Answer, yes. Yes, Cain. Yes, us. Verse 10, what have you done? Listen. Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and are driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. See, in the story of Cain, we see humanity go from bad to worse in one generation. I mean, from eating fruit in Genesis chapter 3 to killing a brother in Genesis chapter 4. From needing to be persuaded to sin in Adam and Eve in the garden to to not being able to be dissuaded from sin, not even by God himself. Sin, it's passed down from one generation to the next and and its effects snowball and grow as it does and so too does God's punishment, do you see? Adam, you might remember from last week, was, was banished from the garden, banished from God's presence. Cain is banished further still. For Adam, the ground would resist his attempts to rule it and to work it. Do you remember? For Cain, the ground will give him nothing at all. Driven from God's people, driven from God's place, driven from God's presence. And, and it's more than Cain can bear, do you notice? He cries out to God, but, but not with words of repentance. Not with shame for what he's done but with self-seeking, self-serving, self-pity. First half, Genesis chapter 4 shows us how humanity's gone from bad to worse. And then comes the second half of the chapter, which shows us how humanity's gone from worse to worse still. See, just in case you thought that in Cain, we had sunk about as low as we could possibly go, meet Cain's offspring, And in particular, meet his great-great-great-grandson, Lamech. Verse 19, jump down. Lamech married two women, which never goes well in the Bible, by the way. One named Adar, the other named Zillah. 
They gave birth to Jabal. He was the father of those who live in tents and raise livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. It's been confusing as they named them both. He was the father of all who play the harp and flutes. Zillah also had a son, Tubalcain, who fought all kinds of tools out of bronze and iron. Second half of the chapter, more children are born. Humanity continues to expand and, and so too does their progress and their advance. Verse 20, 22 record incredible advances actually. And agriculture, music, and technology. Last week, remember, John was kind of all excited and, and explaining to us the wonders of the fruit shop product iPhone. It's got nothing on this. One, two, no, one generation. Nomadic farming is invented. Musical, musical instruments are invented. Metalwork and the ability to make tools invented. Seriously, incredible leaps in the advancement of civilization, our God-given role to, to fill the earth and subdue it. And yet, did you notice, even those advances can't hold back the progress of sin. Now, I remember my uh, favorite engineering professor way back at uni a number of years ago. He thought something very different to this. I remember the conversation where I sat in his office and I told him my plans to do something like this. And he was horrified. How can you give up engineering? And not just because it was respectable and all that sort of stuff. He was convinced with just a little more technology, a little more social advancement, just a little more engineering actually, we could heal the world. But he should have come, read what comes next in Genesis 4, shouldn't he? And what's more, he should have really read his history book, shouldn't he? I mean, we invent the ability to sail the seas, circumnavigate the globe, and what do we do? We conquer and we crush and we claim other people's countries for our own. We learn how to split the atom. I mean, imagine the power. Imagine the potential. And what do we do? We build the atomic bomb. We, we come up with the internet, or someone did, somewhere in LA, probably, Silicon Valley, that the information superhighway, and what do we do? We cyber bully, and we cyber steal, and we cyber spread child pornography at a rate no one would have ever dreamed possible. History shows us that human progress cannot hold back the tide of sin and and so too does God's word, verse 23. Adar and Zillah, listen to me. Wives of Lamech, hear my words. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. Even as humanity advances, humanity goes from worse to worse still. I mean, did you see the progress from Adam, who hid from his sin, to Cain, who lied about his sin, to Lamech, who boasts about his sin? From Adam, it wasn't only me, to Cain, it wasn't me, to Lamech, it was me, and I'm proud of it. And then you see what, what God had announced over Cain for his protection. Lamech now claims for himself, for his revenge. And not only to the extent God had threatened it, you see, nine, ten, eleven times more. 
one of my favourite bands growing up in my kind of broody kind of youth, uh, had a song called Just Like My Father. It begins this way. I'm just like my father, but I am much worse. I'm just like my father, but I am much worse. And they're Lamech's lyrics too, aren't they? Worse than Cain and proud of it. And just in case, on the off chance, we think, well, that was then and this is now. I mean, that was him, this is us. All we need to do is turn on the news, don't we? All we need to do is open a paper, don't we? All we need to do is try to get on the eastern at a busy time of the morning, don't we? All we need to do is look inside ourselves, don't we? As one preacher once said, really on behalf of all preachers, if you only knew the things that I thought, you would never listen to me. But then he went on, if I only knew the things that you thought, I would never speak to you. Humanity's gone from bad to worse and from worse to worse still. The sin that entered the world through Adam has spread and taken a hold of our world. Great problem is, not about you, more often than not, I just don't believe it. Do you? I, I realise I've worked over and over Genesis chapter 4. I, I, I don't believe it. Don't get me wrong, I, I believe there is this thing called sin. We're throwing off God's rule. We're trying to run his world without him. But, but the thing is, deep down, I just don't think it's that bad. Do you? I mean, really? See, like Patrick Lawler, I, I think sin, well, it's kind of like a toothache. A little ice, a little Panadol. It should be right. Don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that sin's not bad. I know sin is bad, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm saying, that bad? This bad? Our sin? My? I think Genesis 4 is telling me it is. I think God in Genesis 4 is telling me it is. This is the honest diagnosis of our problem. Like Patrick Lawler, in fact, worse than Patrick Lawler, there's something worse for us than a six-inch nail deep in our skull. And we need to know it's there. And yes, I know we haven't killed anyone like Cain. We're not a mass murderer like his great-great-great-great-grandson. Well, I'm assuming we're not those things. But it's not the point, is it? The symptoms might be different. The disease is just the same. The expression might be different. The problem is just the same. This is the sin inside of us. This is our potential. And so we desperately need someone to help. And that's the last thing I think these chapters begin, it's only a beginning, begin to show us. There is someone to help. Third point in your outlines, a great, great God who refuses to give up on us. You see it in three ways, I think. You see it in God's continued commitment to justice. His continued commitment 
to justice. After all, given how humanity has just treated God, Genesis 3, Genesis 4, you might have expected God to simply turn his back on us completely, mightn't you? I mean, when we said go, he could have just gone, couldn't he? And then left Abel and everyone like him with no one to defend them. And then left Cain and everyone like him to get away with murder. But he didn't, did you notice? And he won't, did you know that? Nobody ever gets away with it. God will defend their cause, if not in this life, then in the next. God refuses to give up on us. Second place, you see, is God's continued commitment to mercy. His continued commitment to mercy. I mean, even before Cain's sin, God reached out to him in mercy. Do you remember? He mercifully warned Cain even before he'd sinned. And then he mercifully questions Cain even after his sin. After, remember, do you remember what he asked Cain? Do you remember, do you remember the question, verse 7? Where is your brother Abel? Now, why can I ask you, do you think God said that? Because he didn't really know where Abel was? Seems unlikely because of what comes in the very next verses. Then why did he say it? Well, I can't help but wonder whether it was to give Cain an opportunity for confession. An opportunity for mercy. But Cain refuses, doesn't he? And yet still God shows him mercy. I was reading uh, this chapter of the Bible with a non-Christian Chinese student at uni and he couldn't understand why Cain was allowed to live. He's his own words, Chinese student. He says, why wasn't Cain punished? Now, of course, Cain was punished. And in fact, Cain complained it was more than he could possibly bear. But it wasn't more than he deserved, was it? It wasn't even close to what he deserved. As my Chinese friend observed, it was much, much less. Why? Because of God's continued commitment to mercy. A mercy, so many of you will know, will ultimately see, of course, in the giving of his son. So that guilty sinners like Cain, like us, can go free. Book of Hebrews, in chapter 12, verse 23, chapter 12, verse 23 says this, You have come to God, Christian, You have come to God, the judge of all men, to the spirit of righteous men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Abel's blood cried out from the ground, and all it could cry was justice. Jesus' blood cries out from the cross and it cries both justice and mercy. God refuses to give up on us. In his continued commitment to justice, in his continued commitment to mercy, and his continued, <laughs> let's have another try, in his continued commitment to send a serpent crusher. His continued commitment to send a serpent crusher. Remember, we ended last week with that promise John showed us. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. That great promise of God for an offspring of Eve. 
that would right the wrongs and end the evils and crush the serpent's head. And again and again, if you had that promise in mind, you might have had that promise in mind, it was read, we're supposed to be asking, Genesis 4, Genesis 5, is now the time? Is this the one? Chapter 4, verse 1, Adam lay with his wife Eve and she became pregnant and gave birth. Could this be the one? Uh, Chapter 4, verse 17, Cain lay with his wife and she became pregnant and gave birth. Could this be the one? Verse 25, Adam lay with his wife again and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth. Could this be the one? Especially given how chapter 4 ends, did you notice? The calling on the name of the Lord. Especially given how chapter 5 begins, did you notice? I mean, it looks like a fresh start, doesn't it? Like a new beginning taking us back to Adam again. Do you notice verse 1 and 2? And chapter 5, the offspring start coming. Do you see them? So beautifully read again. From Adam to Seth. And Seth to Enosh, and Enosh to Kenan, and on and on and on. Could these be the one? Well, obviously not, because as each live, so each die. A couple of notable exceptions. Enoch walks with the Lord, he disappears, that's odd. Then there's the other exception of Noah, where chapter 5 ends. The Comforter, verse 29. Could he be the one? And actually, to answer the question for that, you're supposed to wait till next week. I know some of you know the ending of this story already. But for the moment, from Genesis 4, Genesis 5, I'm sure what we're supposed to see is humanity go from bad to worse. Humanity go from worse to worse still, and our great God refusing to give up on us. We're supposed to see an honest diagnosis of our problem so that we'll appreciate the solution when God gives it in all its glory in Jesus. And we're supposed to see the great hope of God refusing to give up on us. Friends, if we understand nothing else from this part of the Bible and if on the odd chance you've dozed off in the last little while, wake up now! you understand nothing else from this part of the Bible, understand that sin is far, far worse than any of us think. And God is far, far better. And so it may, may it be that in this congregation, amongst these people, we will admit sin honestly and fight sin relentlessly and be ever, ever grateful to God who has not given up on us will not give up on us, not for our sake, but for justice's sake, for mercy's sake, and for the sake of his wonderful faithfulness to that promise to send the serpent crusher and to finally set us free. I'm looking forward to next week. Let's pray.